Welcome to Sliding Doors, the podcast that delves into the decisions and moments that shape our lives. I am Jenny Becker, and throughout my life, career and relationships, I've always been fascinated with the notion that everything happens for a reason, alongside my love for the 90s movie classic, Sliding Doors. Have you ever really thought about those moments that shaped your life? Those decisions that could have gone either way in the opportunities presented to you? What if you had taken that job? or told that person in high school how much you liked them. Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decisional moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. My guest today is Johanna Basford. Johanna is a Scottish illustrator and to date has sold over 21 million copies of her colouring books worldwide, including Secret Garden and Enchanted Forest, and is the pioneer of the colouring book trend. She is also known for her commercial work for the likes of Sony, Nike and Tate Modern. Born in Scotland, she studied textile design at the University of Dundee. She is known for her intricate hand-drawn black and white illustrations. And since publishing her first adult colouring book in 2013, she has been at the forefront of this booming industry. In 2016, Johanna was appointed an OBE for her services to art and entrepreneurship. She now lives and works in Aberdeenshire with her daughters, where she runs her studio. I cannot wait to find out all about the moments and decisions that have shaped her life so far. So welcome to Sliding Doors, Johanna. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. It's great to chat to you today. Thank you for joining me. So do you want to explain probably a bit better than I just did to our listeners exactly what you do? So I draw pictures. Yes. (laughs) Usually in black, well, always in black and white, actually. So I hand draw everything. It's usually quite botanical, starts off in pencil and we draw in ink, very minimal use of computers. I like wobbly lines and smudgy fingerprints to opposed to like really cold clinical digital artwork. And I started off doing freelance illustration for big brands. As a, so I was just like a freelance illustrator if they wanted an illustration for like perfume packaging or a wine mm-hmm. label or a book cover, I would do that drawing. And then over the years, it kind of got 
seen, my work got seen by a few people and one of them was an editor at a publishing house and they asked me if I'd like to make a colouring book for children. And I said, I'd love to make a colouring book because the black and white artwork lent itself well to that. But I wanted to do one for adults. And this was 2011 when we did the first deal. And they were like, well, we don't think adult colouring is really a thing. Um, So that was how that kind of started. And then I had to make the first book, persuade them that it might be a thing. And we made it really beautiful and intricate and detailed, uh, just like the commercial work that I was doing. And now I mainly make adult colouring books. It's amazing. And our listeners can't see, but she's got all of her lovely books behind her. And I guess, I mean, I've even got one in my bookshelf behind me as well that I've done, like all that colouring and mindfulness. It's a massive trend now. But what gave you that idea then, that first spark of an idea to do something like this for adults? Uh, Just really selfish pursuit, really. So I think uh, (laughs) I was sitting there, I was like, well, I'd quite like to make a book um, and I like colouring. So what I'll do is I'll just make the kind of book that I would want to colour. I I mean, I knew that adults were colouring. So I had friends that did it, but they were colouring kids' books. So it was like the Barbie colouring book or like a ridiculous bunny with a big bow in its hair. And it's like, what what we need is like a book that's creative and beautiful and elegant that you can colour in and not feel daft. Like you can be at the side mm-hmm. of the pool and colour this on your holiday. And they'll be like, oh, look at her doing her colouring. Like she's so fancy and creative. Um, so that was the idea that I just wanted to make a book. And I thought if I make a book that I myself would love to have and to colour, then a few other people might feel the same. So I think the first print run was like, 13,000 copies and I remember phoning my mum going mum I've just found out they're going to print 13,000 of these things I've spent the advance so you have to get all your friends to buy copies I was really scared that they wouldn't sell through I was like I can't give the money back I didn't really know how publishing worked back then um so yeah at the time there was no category on Amazon or I remember the sales department being well we're just not even really sure if this even if it's even going to work mm. and I was like well let's give it a go so that was that and here so we glad are that you did <laughs> yeah and and it also shows that you know we are, ourselves we're like every other person if you like doing it other people are going to like to do it and I think it's just about sharing that idea and did you ever link the kind of connection with that and because I guess it also came about when we started to talk a bit more about mental health and mindfulness mm-hmm. and obviously we've had the pandemic where people were doing everything like this and coloring books puzzles everything did you make that connection originally or was it something that kind of grew from your first idea no, I'll be completely honest. I hadn't really thought about it, but I knew that when I was drawing or color, well, not so much coloring, but drawing and being creative, that I just felt really calm. It was like I was mm-hmm. in my own little bubble and the rest of the world melts away. And you could sit down at your desk and think, well, I'll just do this for 10 minutes. You look up and three hours have passed. So I definitely understood and felt the the effects of that, of the mm-hmm. mindfulness. I didn't, I didn't know the term. I didn't know how to phrase it or how to categorize it or explain it. So I I was aware of the effects, but it wasn't a deliberate thing. It wasn't that I sat there and thought, what I need to do is make this colouring book and help the world with their mindfulness. I think, you know, there's some business people that, you know, look for that opportunity or the gap in the market and they make a thing to fit that and to make money. And then there's the rest of us that just enjoy a thing or love a thing or are passionate about it. And they just have to get it out in the world. And then that somehow becomes their work and their passion and, you know, their business, so to speak. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm second category, the accidental kind. (laughs) Organic talent. And where do you get your inspiration from? Like, I mean, the names of your books just like give me just like peace, just hearing them. Um, (laughs) where do you kind of come up with the idea first? Do you do the drawings first? Does it come from trips you go on? Where do you get your ideas from? 
So I think I'm in like a super unique position in that my editors and publishers are wonderful and just give me free reign. So usually what will happen is I'll email them and go, I've had this idea. Let's do a book called Rooms of Wonder and it'll all be about different rooms. But usually it's the spark of an idea from something in real life. So for example, my new book, which is out in October, is called Rooms of Wonder. And it was inspired by a post-lockdown so when we were allowed to sort of visit National Trust properties but we weren't allowed to go inside and I spent a lot of time holding small children up above my head <laughs> so they could peek in the ground floor windows of castles and stately homes because you know uh, we'd explore yeah, the gardens yeah. and the woods and they're like well we want to see inside and they'd be like oh I can see a suit of armour and a grandfather clock and it was that idea of peeking through and seeing all these different things I was like oh I'm going to make a book about that so I literally emailed my poor agent and long-suffering editor and like explain this random idea and then we kind of pin down a title and then I write a list of ideas like different mm-hmm. rooms usually in one bit of paper sometimes it's like post-it notes in the back of receipts and I kind of get a, an idea of what I want the book to contain and then I just start drawing and a book usually has about 100 drawings I'll maybe do like 120 mm-hmm. I just draw them all the size that they're in the book and as soon as one's finished I stick it on the wall so at the start there's like three drawings you're like oh my god I'm never going to finish this and then by <laughs> the end there's like 110 120 like few then I pick the best ones so that's that's how they all come wow. together but there's no sketches or plan it really is just a bit of a creative mishmash but also like such creative freedom. It, it sounds amazing. And how long does each drawing take you to do? So it can take anything from a morning to three days, or I could spend a week on something. And then at the end of the week, like, oh, I don't really like it. And it never even makes it into the book. So it is one of those where you just have to, to buckle down. So usually to make a book, it's six to nine months for all the drawings, the ideas, all that kind of stuff, doing the cover. Um but yeah, there's a lot of creative freedom and much more so than when I was a, a freelance illustrator, because then mm-hmm. you tend to be working for clients and like we need yeah. a drawing that's this size containing these flowers um, and this layout with this text. So with the books, I'm just left to my own devices. It's oh, wonderful. It's Very amazing. Lucky. And we're going to talk a lot about your kind of career journey in your Slime Dolls moments, but I wanted to ask like, I mean, I'm sure when you were younger, you would never have imagined that this would be what you'd be doing now. What Or what did you think you'd be doing now? I'm one of those really annoying kids that I, I was one of those really annoying kids that knew exactly what they wanted to do. So although I didn't know I was going to be an illustrator, I knew I would have a creative career. So, you know, I went through phases of wanting to be a fashion designer or a cartoonist or a tattooist or an interior designer. That was probably in the 90s when Changing Rooms was a big TV program. Oh my but gosh, I had the CD-ROM game of Changing oh, Rooms. really? Yeah, Was there a lot it. of sponge effect paint? Oh yes, <laughs> That's what it. I remember. <laughs> um, so I always knew that I would have a creative job and that I would go to art school. I just didn't quite know the exact path. But I think that's quite... I think that's quite good because even now I wouldn't want to pigeonhole myself as, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a colouring book illustrator. I think it's good to have a little bit of curiosity and yeah. to wander off and try new things and different disciplines and experiment a little bit. Definitely. And I mean, you definitely probably didn't imagine that you'd be sat here with an OBE. How was that whole kind of um, experience for you? And what was it like getting your OBE? Well, that was really random because I thought it was a wind up. So the letter, <laughs> the letter came, and uh, I remember reading it. And I'm like, well, that's really odd. Um, 
and there was a phone number at the top, you know, to phone if you need further information. So I dialed the number thinking it would just go oh, through to something random. <laughs> yeah. And um, this very, very posh voice picked up and went, hello, Buckingham Palace, how can I help you? So then I explained that I'd received this letter and I was just checking if it wasn't a joke or not. And they didn't, they did not see the funny side of it. Like, <laughs> no, we can confirm it is accurate. And then... So yeah, the time passed. I was um, very pregnant with my second child by that point. And I had the big drama of trying to find a dress. Mm-hmm. Um, pick something black because I thought it would look slimming. You can't look slimming when you're very <laughs> pregnant. I don't know why I was thinking, very hormonal. And I went down there and um, it was Prince um, William that gave me my award in the end. And uh, yeah, it was very nice. I had a little chat with him. He said that Kate likes to colour and that she had one of my books. I was like, Love that's that. very nice. And uh, yeah, it was like one of those very, very surreal moments. I was going to say, does it, did it kind of feel like it was something that made you feel like you'd achieved something or was it a proud moment for you or did you almost just, or, I mean, a lot of us sometimes have these moments and feel like, why am I here? Yeah, no, that it, it was that option. It was the <laughs> full-blown imposter syndrome right up to the very last second. The only thing that was sort of mildly taking the edge off was I'd heard Anne and Dick were also getting awards. I wondered if they were going to get it the same day. It was like, that would just be the icing yes. on the cake. <laughs> uh, alas, they were not there that day. Um, but no, I didn't, I didn't anticipate it. It felt very bizarre. It didn't feel like uh, I should be getting, especially when you meet the other people getting awards. You know, there was people like, well, I've been a head teacher for 30 years or I've ran the railways in this little village in the northeast of Scotland for 50 years. Like it, they were, they had all done big things in their community for a long time. And I'm there going, yeah, I make these adult colouring books and it seems to be going quite well. We sold quite a few. So but people yeah, will, you know odd. what, people will be looking at you <laughs> thinking, look at what this woman's done. Like, I know it sounds, it sounds strange to say when you say out loud adult colouring books, but you did revolutionise something. And I think that, you know, they don't, you know, they don't award people for not succeeding in something and it's an amazing kind of nod to kind of show you um especially in like entrepreneurship I think for any like female that kind of starts their own business and grows it it's such an amazing thing for people to aspire to be like well thank you very much that's very kind and that's kind of how I tried to frame it in my own head that I was it was an award um to be received on behalf of the coloring community because it really did sum up the the thing that we had created and we had all created it you know I might make those books but without the community and the people that buy them and color Mm -hmm. them and share their beautiful work and you know foster that great community online we just we wouldn't have I we wouldn't have the community and I wouldn't have that job so it was very much a team effort but I also love the idea that you know I'm just a girl who can draw pictures, not very good at maths, very bad at business, very um, adverse to any kind of conflict or confrontation, hate a business negotiation. And here I am, you know, still in the northeast of Scotland with two small children, well, one child and a very big bump at that point, uh, running a business and we were selling millions of books. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I like the idea that maybe some other mum would be sat at home and that would be like, well, maybe she can do it. I can do it too so that was that was how I framed it in my head exactly and that's the best way to frame it because it's so true um so before we go to talk kind of about your moment specifically um I wanted to ask you about your thoughts on the sliding doors theory so what do you think when it comes to moments of fate timing coincidence luck all of the kind of moments we're going to talk about what what do you believe in do you believe that there's a path for all of us or do you believe we have a lot more control Oh no, I'm I'm massively invested in this idea. So I tend to call it the butterfly effect more in my head. You know, I've okay. seen that movie. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think there's a there's lots of 
times when you can have a bit of, we call it shoulda, woulda, coulda, you know, like if I just did this one thing different, then everything would be different, but it would be so different in so many other ways. I think there's a lot of times where you can look back and think, well, that one thing led to this bad thing. And if I changed that, but I, I don't know, I, I always think like you're, you're on your path and even the bad stuff is meant for you. So even if you have a tricky moment or a very difficult chapter, I always try to sort of, we call it digging for gold in our house, but you have to try and find the silver lining in it. There's always a lesson to be learned. And, you know, I like the idea that there's lots of different possibilities, but you just have to accept, you know, the decisions that are made. And there's no point in going back and trying to regret it and rewrite history because, you know, there's things that have happened in the past that I kind of wish I'd tackled differently now, mm -hmm. but I am grateful for the lessons. And I know that we wouldn't have ended up where we are now had that changed. So Exactly. Yeah. And also, if you're ever confronted with something similar in the future, that's when you've got your chance to do it differently. Exactly. Exactly. And even like a really great chapter, I think, well, our resilience is sky high now. Like mm -hmm. we have like got through that and I didn't know that I would have managed to have tackled that had it not been for that opportunity. So yeah, try exactly. to think about it that way. I'm fully with you on that. Um, and that goes nicely into your first moment. So just to let our listeners know, Johanna wrote some amazing kind of mini paragraphs for all of her moments. I've just abbreviated them very small so that she can explain the stories to you. So um, her first one is age two or three, painting the wall in our hallway with black tar paint. So you say this was your first wall mural and possibly um, your first significant piece of monochrome artwork. So Explain how this was a slang doors moment for you, because I do not know how you managed to get away with painting black tar in your hallway. So take us back to this time and explain why this is a slang doors moment for you. So um, my dad had this battered old Subaru car and he had some black tar paints called bitumen paint and he'd been painting the underside of the car to seal it, to try and hold it together a little bit longer. And for some ludicrous reason, he had left the open pot and the brush in the hallway um, of our house, which had a light, nice white wood chip wall. And I'd come along, seen the paintbrush and the paint and just, you know, made a painting <laughs> as you would when you're at that age. And um, I don't remember getting told off. I don't remember there being any shouting. I'm sure my dad got it in the ear afterwards for being so irresponsible. Um, but I always wonder now, because I hear so many adults tell me that they want to be creative and they like the colouring boots because it helps them tap into that creative side of them again because a thing happened to them as a child or as a young adult that made them believe that they weren't creative. And I'm someone that believes that we're all born creative. You never see a toddler holding a crayon wrapped with self-doubt. They're too busy drawing on the wall or the table or the massive yeah. bit of paper because it never occurs to children that we're not creative. But then if somebody comes along and goes, no, that's not very good or don't do that there or you're not really a drawing type, just leave it or absolutely do not draw on that wall. I think it plants a seed and a bit of mm -hmm. a fear and then we start getting in our own way. And before you know it, you're a 30 year old that thinks that you can't draw a person. So I always wonder if in that moment, if my mom had gone absolutely ballistic, if I would never have drawn a picture again, if I would never have picked up a paintbrush, if something would have triggered something in me that was like, actually, this creative, creativity lark is not for me. We'll go and do something else. We'll play with dollies or I don't know, read more books or something like that. So that's one of my moments because I'm very grateful that... Yeah. Yeah, it turned out the way it did. And do you remember what it looked like? Like, nah, do you remember, no. no, not at all. I mean, I can't imagine it was great, to be <laughs> honest. But I do remember that um, they didn't paint over it. I'm pretty sure I remember the big dollops of black really? drippy paint being there for a long time. And obviously I was little, so it wasn't high up the wall. But 
I mean, who who would lead that line? And I'd have a parent now like that. That is a ridiculous thing I to do. I think we can blame your dad rather than you. But <laughs> I think the fact that you remember this moment must have meant it was quite significant to you. And do you, I mean, obviously this isn't going to be where you, you're only two or three, but as you said, do you think this is kind of a moment for you because you kind of realised, I don't know, like you you could start to realise your skill and creativity and or was that a moment where your parents are like, oh God, she loves to pick up a paintbrush. Like, did it, did it snowball into anything else? No, kind of the opposite. I think it never occurred to me that I couldn't, but I'm very aware that had my parents' reaction to that been different, I think it would have radically changed the direction of my life completely mm-hmm. because I think it would have pushed me away from being creative I wouldn't have pursued that at school. I wouldn't have gone to art school. I wouldn't have found the career that I did. Wouldn't have, you know, had the children that I've had. So, you know, I think it's one of those moments where I'm really glad it panned out the way it did, but there was potential there there for everything to pivot completely. And um, yeah, I'm really glad that it didn't. Yeah. And how do you think you would react today if one of your kids did the exact same thing in oh, your hallway? I wonder about this <laughs> all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh, they do draw on the walls and we have had words about it. And I try to frame it as, I am delighted that you want to express your creativity, but here are some big sheets of paper that I have glued to the wall (laughs) or stuck to the wall for you to draw on. I think it's about finding ways to allow them to express themselves and be creative. Like, I don't like the idea of just giving them an A4 sheet of paper and, you know, six colouring pens. Like, it is good for them to explore different scales and different art materials and to paint outside and inside and I think I try and give them as many opportunities to be creative as possible but I would rather they didn't paint on my walls yeah I think I think we all would that's definitely not the message here but I mean you've spoken about how different you think or you think things could have been for you what how different do you think you know if your parents had been really angry with you told you off been like don't do this anymore how do you think that kind of would have impacted you? And how, I mean, based on kind of, as you say, experiences you've had with people that have had that happen to them at a young age, how do you think it does affect young kids if they're told not to do stuff in such a like harsh way? I think it, um, I think it affects their confidence and it definitely affects their self-talk. Like I'm very conscious just now, like you're not meant to say, you know, you've got, oh, you're the good child or you're the naughty mm-hmm. child, like all that kind of sort of categorizing um so I, th- I think it's that I think it I think I'm just very conscious that we all have a perception of ourselves and the self-talk and so much of what happens in childhood then filters through to how we are as adults and how we think of ourselves and what our skills and talents are and I do wonder sometimes how much of that is actually you know discovered by us and how much of it is labels that we've just inherited from either teachers or parents or other adults like oh actually you're not the sporty one she yeah. is you're the musical one and it's like well maybe you should find out for yourself um so it's kind of that moment I guess like that I'm really glad that my sort of script was left open for me to decide how it how it panned out as opposed to being categorized or an opportunity taken away from me. Because I mean, equally, my mom could have said, right, well, that's it. No more painting and taking away all the painting yeah. stuff. You know, maybe that maybe she thought that was encouraging me. But my mom and dad, interestingly, are both well, we're both marine biologists, so from a very scientific background. Wow. So you would think that having a creative child would kind of send them a little bit like make them a bit anxious like oh no like what's she doing Um, but there was none of that in our house it was um yeah they were very positive very supportive right just go for it so 
love that. And we need we need to say thank you to your dad for leaving the black tar (laughs) out in the hallway because who knows where you'd be now. So uh, there we go. And and that leads us on to your second moment, which um, is you choosing to go to Elon Academy Secondary School, which triggered a chain of events, which ultimately led me to the art school where I developed my signature style of drawing and the first stepping stone to the career I have now. So again, you've you've put this very eloquently and I've just abbreviated that for you. So take us back to that moment when you were deciding which school to go to and why this choice of school and going to this school was such a sliding doors moment for you. So this was a huge moment because uh, where we lived, we were right on the boundary of two secondary schools and um, bless him, my dad realised that art was going to be a big thing and I did actually get to pick between the two schools and, and I there was much of a muchness, you know, it wasn't that one was terrible, one was great. Um, so he said, let's go and visit the art departments and that will help you make your decision. And there was going to be a tour of the rest of the school to us, I didn't really care, you know, like one yeah, gym hall, like one gym hall. Was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think it's quite interesting, the age 11, 12, I'd kind of worked that out. But we went along and the first art department at Ellen Academy was this like crazy open plan department with like loads of junk in it, like bits of old motorbikes and shop mannequins and vintage typewriters and just paint everywhere and like random things of clay. It was just, it was like an artist studio. It was like a huge artist studio and it was just bananas. And the head of department was a guy called Bill Smith. And he was crazy as well in the like the best, most eccentric creative way. Yeah. And I remember speaking to him and just and like the like the books, like the energy was just there. Yeah. I was like, wow, this this is a vibe. Like I really liked it. But obviously mm-hmm. that was the first one. I was like, well, maybe yeah. all art departments look like this. And then we went to the second school and the art it was mint law. And the art department was newer. And uh, it was definitely cleaner. It was more like a graphics kind of studio. So less stuff in it, very tidy and organized. Still like beautiful stuff everywhere. Really nice uh, staff. But I just didn't get the same kind of excited vibe from it. Mm-hmm. So I went with Ellen Academy. And as I progressed through the school, you know, like they had the best creative department and they really sort of nurtured that spark in me. And I know some schools sort of push you away from those kind of subjects and ask mm-hmm. you to focus more on like math and science and I was quite good at studying I wasn't necessarily very bright but I could study and pass an exam well so it would have been it would have been you know not out with the realms of possibility for them to say well actually you're getting good grades in maths and English you yeah. should maybe try and focus on something else but they were fine with me going for the art and um, Mr Smith was a big advocate for Duncan Johnston College of Art in Dundee and he took us down and showed us the open days and it was it was that art school that I ended up applying to and I think probably very much because of his guidance and influence and obviously that led on to the chain of events that, that got me to this studio that I'm sitting in now so I do think that you know picking that school was you know a huge boost to me I don't know if I'd have gone to Dundee had it not been for being an Ellen first and I also know that my creative practice and my you know ability to do critical thinking and to be curious was really nurtured at that school mm-hmm. not just in the art department but in other departments as well and you know I loved my time there and the friends that I made and it's one of those things where you're just very grateful for that that route and that opportunity to choose as well like not all kids get that opportunity or, or that support from their parents so 
yeah, that was, that's a big moment, I think. Yeah, it's a great moment. And first of all, you can tell how much, because you remember everything about that art studio and the way you describe it, like it definitely had an impact on you. And it's brilliant when we can put these very small little things together and make this chain of events, like you say, that everything like links up together. And you make a really good point of how teachers especially you know, have such power um, for young people's lives of where they go in schools. And I went to a school that was very academic. I was very creative and I stood up for myself, but very much was nearly pushed into a different direction. And you're right, they nurtured um, what you had and it led you on to everything else that you did. And I, I love the way you've described it because actually you can just remember, and actually you're right, the choice that you had, because if you'd had been told you had to go to another school, you probably would have still been in a, the creative industries, but just in a very different way. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So how explain then how much kind of the university that you went to shaped who you were and kind of gave you your style of drawing that's so unique to you? So I went to art school in Dundee. It's part of the University of Dundee. And um, there's four art schools in Scotland. And I loved it in Dundee because it's a very small city. And the art school has its own little campus. It very much feels like a village within a city. Uh, at the time, the course that I did was, well, you do a general course first, which is when you mm-hmm. do a little bit of everything. And then you have to pick your choice, you know, your subject that you're going to specialize in. And I actually thought I was going to do graphic design. And I went up to the graphic design department and it was all, um, you know, like very super cool guys with like band t-shirts and pretentious haircuts and Apple Macs. Like, These are not my people. And then right. I was like... I'm going to do illustration because I love to draw. And the illustration department was in the basement. I was like, I can't spend three years in a basement. Yeah. <laughs> this does look kind of cool. And I'd been walking around the art school and textiles was kind of near the top of the building. There's great big open plan studios. Again, lots of light, lots of creative clutter, beautiful view out over to the River Tay and this amazing print studio with like silk screens and like loads and loads of cloths and big pots of inks and paints and dyes. And it just felt like home immediately. So that was how I picked the subject that I, you know, later went on to, to study and have my degree in. But Dundee Art School was just a great place to be because it's so small that there's lots of cross-disciplinary work. You know, I had flatmates that were doing fine art and jewellery and illustration and animation and everyone's all muddled in together. So it just allows all the skills and the ideas to percolate Mm -hmm. and to spark off each other and quite a a very friendly community, in fact, very friendly and just a lovely place to be a student. Really enjoyed my time there, actually. Oh, it sounds great. And also, you sound like someone that very much kind of gets a gut feeling or you feel an energy or a vibe. Do you feel like that's definitely something that you've carried on later in your life and career? Yeah, funnily enough, uh, I was saying this another day, the absolute worst decisions and things that I regret, and I know you shouldn't have regrets, but I do, Like, or mm-hmm. I look back on things I should have done that differently, are times when I have ignored my gut and gone mm-hmm. with my head. So yeah. your, your head is like this is the sensible option. This is the best yeah. route and definitely the thing you should do. And your gut's like, hell no, we are not <laughs> doing that. <laughs> you, the times that I've ignored that and like gone with the sensible head option and not listened to my gut or my heart, that is when I've made really bad calls. Like I've done things that are not in line with my values or not in my character. And then I've had to like undo them or I've learned really hard lessons or been uncomfortable in a situation so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely learning to um, listen more to my gut, pay more attention to it 
And it, Glennon Doyle is a quote about listening to the quiet whispers. I think that says a lot as well. Like if there's like a little voice saying to you like this is not the best thing or you should actually choose the other thing, then yeah. I'm I'm okay now with listening to that. I think it takes a bit of confidence, especially for me in a business situation because I'm very conscious that you know, I don't know the most about so many aspects yeah. of business and even being a grown up, like I still, I'm 39 and there's still times like that. Oh, I just feel like such a child. Like I just feel so <laughs> out of my dad. Well, and... our brains haven't changed. We're still like yeah. 18 year olds somewhere it's deep like, down. When I'm an adult, I am going to be really yes. good at this. <laughs> um, so in those circumstances, if somebody that I think is more intelligent or better suited or just wiser on the subject tells me a thing, even if it's not in line with my values, it's a real struggle for me to say, no, I, mm. I actually disagree. But I am getting much better at that now. I learned the hard way that, yeah, if it doesn't sit right, it's 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 never going to sit right. Definitely. And I think this moment's really inspiring because I think we often don't realise how much control we have or the things do have earlier on in our lives and at university and picking jobs and it is all those little moments and decisions that you know this isn't something that's like oh my god wow life-changing moment but I love how you can remember all those small things that just would not have got you to where you were today even you know if you just decided to go with graphic design because that's what you wanted to do you actually and then you didn't even go with illustration which is the second thing you were good to do because you didn't feel the energy and you went with something that felt like it was the most you where you could explore who you were and your creativity I'm going to ask you a tough question, but how different do you think your life would be now if you'd had chosen the other school to go to? So taking it right back to the first decision, do you ever think about how different things might have been for you? No, because I think I think every decision is like a pathway and, you know, it, it can branch off into a million different options. So I think it would blow my mind if I tried to do that. But I know <laughs> it wouldn't have worked out the way yeah. it has. Like, I know that. I mean, the main thing is I know I wouldn't have the children that I have. Yes. So, you know, I think when you have that as like your stop point, you're always like that. Well, I wouldn't have the kids. Um, everything else, you can maybe muddle along. Like it might have worked out kind of like that, but you wouldn't have your children. So... Yeah, I, I, I try not to dwell too much on that because it would blow my mind. I know. And also, I guess from everything you've said about the teachers and the people that you worked with, you just wouldn't have had that creative freedom and outlet and it just wouldn't have taken you to where you are today, which I guess is the case. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And even something so simple as the reason that I was doing black and white illustrations was because I couldn't afford a computer at the time and I couldn't really work a computer because I didn't have one to practice on at home yeah so I started drawing everything by hand and I was a bit skinned so I drew everything in black and white and made it super detailed and I had like a monochrome collection and it was that monochrome collection that spawned the freelance work that got me noticed that then led on to the first coloring book contract so it's just things like you know if I had been able to afford a computer or you know if I hadn't found the ideal black pen and I'd ended up doing something in color like just those tiny little things would have changed the entire you know course of what happened next so they definitely would and I think it also shows that you know we can think we know where we want things to go and we want to be this we want to do this but sometimes if you just embrace what you've got you never know where it's going to lead you and it definitely happened to you and now on to your last moment, um, which was making the decision to say no to projects that didn't fit me or my brand and my business taking a pivot to strip everything back and instead focus on a few small projects that were creative, authentic and made me happy. So I love this one. I think we all need a bit of no in our lives um, and definitely also authenticity. So after your first book, you're being offered a lot of different partnerships and collaborations. You were having a baby and you were finding it all quite a lot. So take us back to that time um, and 
explain kind of really what was the catalyst for all of this change for you? So I had, I'd had the first, I'd made the first book and also had a baby the same year, like 2013, 2014. Um, And then the book had kind of sold quite well for Mm -hmm. like the first year and then it just went bananas like absolutely crazy and when the book sales were skyrocketing and we're working on the next book and there was also a lot of you know opportunities coming in I was still kind of technically on maternity leave so I'd taken about six weeks off and then I'd come back kind of part-time because I was self-employed I was like I can't really do anything else Uh, and I loved my job so it wasn't as if I couldn't I didn't want to do it and I just sort of worked around having having a little baby Um, But then the opportunity started coming in and it was really difficult because I had this baby who, you know, Evie, who I adored and wanted to be with all the time. But then also, you know, people were saying, do you want to come to Brazil and do this art class? And would you like to be the face of our new marketing campaign? And we'll send you a lifetime supply of free pens, which I've been waiting my entire life for that opportunity (laughs) to come along. Um, And just loads of other great things. And like, you know, we want you to do the the title sequence to this or like this commission and we want you to partner with this hotel chain and like make this collection of I don't know ceramics and bedding and mm-hmm. it was all things that were taking me away from both the baby from Evie but also from drawing because it started yeah. to become a very legal business and I remember it was so overwhelming and I just felt I wasn't being creative and I wasn't being a good mom and it was really hard to to say no but I felt that I had to say no because I didn't want to leave my baby at home um but yeah I think I think as well I felt ungrateful because so many creative people so many new mums were waiting for that opportunity to come along Mm -hmm. and I think when you're self-employed as well there's always that fear that that phone call is going to be the last ever offer that you get and then you will never work again I think that's a freelancer thing I speak to hairdressers that are the same a lot of people say that a lot of people say especially when you've wanted success in something for a long time Mm -hmm. you feel like you just have to say yes to everything because why wouldn't you you've been gifted it Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you don't want to be ungrateful you don't want to say no to the universe so initially I said yes to lots of things I, I just had a meltdown I couldn't do it so then I started to say no and um but the business kind of grew and I took some advisors on and I took advice to sort of hire different people and it was like we're gonna build a lifestyle brand I was like yeah okay we're gonna do this and we're gonna make these products and you know, it was all progressing and I was sort of getting swept along with it and by then I was pregnant with Mia my second baby and I remember I went down to London for a meeting and I was pushing Evie in her buggy and like just pregnant with Mia and thinking about things. And, you know, we'd had a big meeting that morning. I was like, you know what? when I die, I'm not going to go, I wish I'd really done the ceramics range. She's like, I was like, I'm going to wish that I'd been to the park more with them or yeah. that, you know, we'd had more happy memories. I'm just like that. I just don't, I don't know if it's worth it. And you only get one life. So I made the decision to scale everything back, to say no to loads of things, to turn down opportunities, to wind down deals. I was highly unpopular. People thought I was crazy, but in my heart, I knew it was the right decision. And even now, I don't regret that for a minute. And people are like, oh, but you could have done this and you could have made this amount and you could be at this point. It's like, yeah, but for what? You know, like, what do you have to sacrifice to get there? And I think... It was. I was really lucky that I had the freedom to make that choice and mm-hmm. to have that opportunity. Because some people don't have the opportunity. You you have yeah. to make certain decisions and you have to do certain things. But it did give me a bit of freedom to to pick what projects that I worked on, what opportunities I pursued, which people I partnered with. I remember there was one occasion where I was um, working on a deal 
with a brand to promote a product and they'd written out some wording. I was like, oh, I don't really agree with that. Like, yeah. I do like it, but I, would, I wouldn't say that. And I don't mm-hmm. completely like that specific thing. I'd prefer this one. And like just trying to make it right. And they were like really hesitant to make any changes. And I remember saying to the advisors at the time, like, what does everyone else do in this situation? Because they seem really surprised that I'm saying no to this and making changes. And I'm like, well, everyone else just shuts up and takes the money. Wow. And they were kind of laughing. And I was like, you know, that pause like that, I can't work out if we're joking or not. I was like, they are not joking. Like that is literally what everyone else does. I was like, that I'm out. Like, that's not me. I don't want to do that. It's not worth it. And I can make enough money doing the books into projects that I like. I don't need to be selling my soul. And also selling out my community. Just like it just didn't fit well at all. Um so that was that. That yeah. was my but you know what? It's not the hard thing with all of this is there's that advice wasn't even truthful as in like it might be what some people do, but it is mm. not what everybody does. And I think, you know, we we look at um, we think I mean, I talk about this all the time to my team. We think success is working all hours of the day, not you know, you want if you're not working till 11 o'clock at night, you're not going to be successful. You're not seen as a success. And, and if you say no to anything, that's not successful and all this type of stuff. And it just couldn't be further from the truth because mm-hmm. actually your success is all based around you, your authenticity, you are what makes your brand. So if you're not making the decisions and making it right for you, your brand isn't going to go to where it needs to go. Yeah, exactly that. I struggled with the idea of being fake, shall yeah, we say, there go, yeah. um, just to make a quick buck. Like it just felt so wrong, particularly because the people that were buying my books, my audience were there because they had invested in me and they were supporting the work. It's like that. You can't take their trust and try to flog them something or promote something to them that you don't really believe in. Mm-hmm. And I do feel that, you know, like we are a team. I'm very grateful for them. And, you know, I wouldn't have this position in this dream job if it wasn't for the people in the community so it just it just felt so wrong to let people down like that and listen it dilutes your brand and going back to a point you said before if you're not following what you believe in and things go wrong you'll never know what what is and you were following someone else's thoughts and beliefs but if you follow what you know is right for you you're then responsible for what happens if things go right if things go wrong but at least it's kind of your decision and your brand and I wanted to ask you for any kind of entrepreneurs that are listening and being like that's me I don't want to say no to things what were kind of the first steps that you took um to kind of redefine your business and start to kind of say no to things and put it in the direction you wanted it to go well, I'm a realist, so you have to look at the numbers. Uh, I'm not saying that you should sell yourself out, but you have to be realistic. So if you can renegotiate a contract to have, you know, like ideal terms and still get paid, then, you know, I would do that over walking away from it. You know, I think so many people give advice like, I just say no and turn down the money. It's like, well, that's great, but, you know, you still got a mortgage to pay. So there has mm-hmm. to be some flexibility. You have to be sensible and try to be personable and work with people and, you know, I was in the very lucky position that the books were sort of taking care of themselves. So the license in that was like an extra. But, you know, in your career, in your business, you have to work with other people. And I think it says a lot if you try and find solutions and, and do that whilst maintaining your integrity. So I think look for solutions to the problem. Don't spit the dummy. Don't be a diva. Don't try and do things that are going to look good on social media. Like try and just quietly work away and, and do that. But I think when I made all those big decisions, I just looked at, I had a very hard look at how happy I was, mm-hmm. how I wanted to spend my days, like my hours, my time, what I was sacrificing and where it was going. Like, do, did I even want to go to the place that we were aiming at? And I realized that 
the end goal was somebody else's end goal. It wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. mine. Exactly. And I looked at what I liked to do in the business, what I didn't like to do. It turns out I don't like being on a Zoom call going over a 60-page contract with a lawyer. I actually <laughs> like drawing a picture, listening yes. to a podcast. So Exactly. I just kind of had a really hard look at it. It's like, well, if, you know, I've only got, you know, so many, I read that great book this year, um, 4,000, 4,000 weeks, you know, like, like if you yeah. live to 80, you've only got 4,000 weeks. It's like, if I've got this amount of time that I'm going to be working for, what do I want to do with it? Like, what's the ideal plan? And I think, I think being realistic, but also having high aspirations and expectations of how you spend your days helps you to find your path. But I mean, we've all got to pay the bills and things. So I definitely, definitely. think you need to be sensible and find yeah creative solutions. Yeah, it's a balance for sure. And as you said before, I think you've probably got more confidence now in your ability to make these mm-hmm. decisions because of things that went wrong. And then like, as we say, we don't have regrets. We learn from everything that happens. And I wanted to ask you where where do you think you and your business would be now? Like if you hadn't have, you know, if you'd have listened to that person that told you to take the money and shut up, or if you know, if you kind of did think that was the road to success was just kind of saying yes to the things that you didn't believe in. Do you ever think about where you might be now? Yeah, I mean, it's so hard to it's so hard to imagine, but I know I wouldn't be sitting in a little studio drawing pictures all day. I mm-hmm. would be running a business with a file of facts and, you know, a lot more digital devices. I wouldn't have as many pens. Uh, I just don't believe that it would be a happier life for me. I strongly, strongly believe that. Like the whole corporate business world where you sacrifice well-being and health and quality time with your kids just wasn't for me. And I had the huge luxury of being able to choose an option where I could pick a career and a lifestyle and a business that worked around family and, you know, health, outdoors, all the things that I enjoy. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty content with life. And I just think any other any other route I would be less so content so yeah feeling a bit smug (laughs) no it's brilliant and listen as you say each to their own everybody's got a different way of things Mm -hmm, that inspire mm -hmm. them things that don't but it's about knowing what inspires you and as you say doesn't just fall on your lap you've got to put the hard work in but be authentic to who you are take it where you're going to and follow your gut like I love I love the fact that you follow your gut so much. Um, Johanna, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I'm definitely going to go and take a colouring book and sit outside. And your moments are brilliant. And thank you for sharing them so much with our listeners. You're very welcome. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a lovely chance to actually think about all those different things and to reflect upon them. So thank you. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sliding Doors. If you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring, I would love it if you could rate, review, share and subscribe. Thank you so much. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. 
juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.